and welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby Off Season, the podcast we're doing because we miss talking about Downton Abbey so much. We want to be here with you anyway and talk about all the other great shows that we're watching and update you on any Downton Abbey news. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. So our, our number one piece of Downton news right now, guys, still getting nominated for our best series at the Emmys. <laughs> Now, look, I love Downton Abbey. I love it. But the Americans, come on. The Americans. The Americans should have had that slot for sure. And there's probably a few other shows. I mean, just in general, I don't like it when the same shows get nominated year after year after year, no matter what they are. Modern Family, hello. And Modern Family, I mean, just a slight side note. I still watch it sometimes. I really liked it in the first couple seasons. It is just the, sh- the same shit over and over and over. Hey, the good news is Big Bang Theory does not get a nomination. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so you know so what? Good. Honestly, here's the thing, though. Big Bang Theory is a better show than Modern <laughs> Family is. <laughs> Big Bang Theory actually has, like, some really interesting female characters, and Modern Family has, like, an accent and a shrew as <laughs> two female characters. Well put. There's some new players. I think it's going to be a really fun Emmys, but, you know, Downton Abbey, you're a lot of fun, but I don't know. What on earth did Jim Carter do to get his nomination this year? He lamented the changing of the times. Do you think he submitted the awkward proposal episode? <laughs> I don't know. I can kind of understand where they're coming from recognizing Joanne Froggett, who, again, you know, we've complimented the way that she elevates some absolute dreck that is given to her. But I just don't get what... Carson did this season to really be that ground shaking. Exactly. Well, and I mean, here's the thing. Edith has never been nominated. Uh Uh-huh. And I think she's the best, well, her and Lady Mary are like the best actresses on the show. Right. But Michelle Dockery has been nominated. Yes. Well, that's And Maggie Smith was not nominated. Yeah, she's probably glad that she doesn't have to write yet another, like, handwritten, no thank you, I'm not coming to your stupid (laughs) award show. (laughs) Seriously. Which is, like, so badass to be like, I keep winning, but I'm not going to start going. <laughs> I'm not going to go. <laughs> i got better things to do. Okay, you Whoever guys... works behind the scenes is like, yes, we can finally delete that stock photo that we put up every time they're showing the nominees. <laughs> hey, but all of Clone Club was celebrating Tatiana Maslany. Totally. That was the one that really made me the happiest. Yep. And Empire. Yes. Oh my god, cookie forever. Yeah. So there were some good I mean all there the, some the actresses ones. are strong. Very strong. Actresses are strong. You can see how strong they are that um, you know, Jane the Virgin was shut out in the acting categories, which was a surprise after it, you know, did well at the Golden Globes. Well and yeah. the affair was totally shut out as well. So you know, usually who wins a Golden Globe, they don't win an Emmy. I mean that that's usually how it goes. Yeah, they seem to have a different set of criteria because also, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine gets a lot of Golden Globes and stuff, so. <laughs> and, it's, um, and it's a great show. It's a great show. I like that show, but it's, you know, it's not doing the same business over on the other side. Well, so. I wouldn't nominate Silicon Valley, but, again, I don't love, like, a million dick jokes, so. <laughs> Did any of the women from uh, Game of Thrones get nominated? Yes. Who? Cersei. Oh, Cersei. Of course. Okay. Uh, Diana Rigg. As a guest oh, star. And, 
So Lena Headley, Diana Rigg. Yeah, and then Peter Dinklage, of course. And Peter Dinklage. Do they just print ballots with just the same people's names on them or something? I'm really hoping (laughs) for a Mad Men sweep this year because Breaking Bad is finally out of the picture. I mean, John Hamm just better fucking win an Emmy because even though we can rag on the character of Don Draper, John Hamm acted the shit out of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just ridiculous that the show has never won any sort of acting award. Yeah, only Best Drama and Best Writing. And two of their episodes were nominated for Best Writing, which I think is awesome. I definitely think Game of Thrones will probably take the directing um, because they did nominate the big White Walker episode. Yeah. Yeah, those big set pieces are pretty impressive. Yeah, and that, that, that episode was a work of art. It was amazing. So, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be a fun night. You know, I'll have my Charlemagne poured, a little bit of whiskey, <laughs> champagne. Highly recommend. So Drink good. one at least, you know, 20 minutes before the show starts. So you're in a good place for those opening speeches. Okay, what's, yeah. what's the date of the Emmys? It's September 20th. So our other bit of Downey news is, you know, we're starting to see what the actors might do after the show is over. Tear. Tear. <laughs> and uh, Michelle Dockery seems to be trying to come to America. She's got a pilot going when she's going to play, like, a con artist on in a TNT drama. Is she playing... I kind of like that Is idea. she playing American or is she going to play British? Do we know? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I would assume... Hold on. I'm going to click on the link. Wait, wait, wait. Let's give a little Let's give a little snippet of what the show actually is. Do you have okay. it open, Teresa? You're always, you always have a good voice for this. Here it is. Okay. The erstwhile Mary Crawley has landed a TNT drama called Good Behavior, which has received a pilot order from the network based on the Letty Dobbish novels by Blake Crouch. The series will feature the patrician actress going against type by playing a con artist nearly released from prison whose life is always one wrong turn and bad decision from implosions. Just how she likes it. I like it. So. I don't think I've ever watched anything on TNT, but, you know, I never thought I would, my favorite show right now would be on Lifetime. So, you know, it's a topsy-turvy world. I'll definitely be tuning in because I, I really love Michelle Dockery. And I, yeah, I'm excited I, to see I her play her. an edgier role. That sounds really fun. Yeah. yeah well, hopefully we do get to see it, because it's only a pilot at this point. And if there's so many pilots that I get excited about that don't go anywhere. I'm still mourning that one that was going to be about, like, the a class of female rookie cops in the 70s that never became a thing. Okay, so this episode, we did not um, continue our Julian Fellows Film Festival because we all wanted to uh, talk about the latest Pixar movie, the latest and maybe greatest. Greatest! I'm going to say greatest! Uh, Inside Out, which was incredible. Man, it was incredible. You know, I saw it twice. <gasps> I want to see it twice so bad. Go see it again. I just had so many feelings. And I was just in such <laughs> awe of the entire thing that I feel like I really need to see it again to really just follow the story because it's just such an experience. I just love this film. And, of course, I was bawling through several key episodes. And I'm still thinking about it. And I'm still thinking of the golden balls and them turning oh. sad and melancholy and nostalgia and growing up and bing bong and (laughs) bing bong so 
I just I just saw it yesterday as we're recording this. This morning, I was thinking about the scene where Joy realizes that sadness is an emotion people have to have, where she's like says, "Oh, they came and made her happy because of the sadness," and I started crying again, like in the shower this morning, because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so beautiful and it's so true. And then Bing Bong right after that, like you guys, I was losing it. I know, absolutely losing it. I was too, but I heard some sniffles a couple seats away, and it really emboldened me to just let loose and cry. (laughs) And I mean, Pixar is so incredible. They did this with the Toy Story movies. I feel like this is what they did. They took that montage from season, I mean, Toy Story 2, the Sarah McLaughlin song where Jessie is saying goodbye to her owner who grew up, and then they made a whole movie, and they just made me cry harder. Because they know how to capture that moment of when you're leaving childhood behind. And that sadness and that loss that we feel until adulthood that we never wanted to lose it, but we had to. You know, I think an Oscar should go to sadness, first of all. I'm going to start a campaign for best. That's really sad. Was like, how could you make that line so good? It's really sad. <laughs> it's really sad. I know. Um, but I and I and I also there were so many things about this movie that I loved. I mean, I loved all the emotions. They're all so well cast. They're so well animated. They're so well voiced. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're all really wonderful. Those all the little throwaway lines by all those little jelly beans that work in the brain. Oh my god, I love the jelly beans. Oh my beans. god, they're so funny. They're so. I could have watched like. Can we get, like, you know how they do the little spin-off Toy Story cartoons and stuff? I want one all about those little Paula Poundstone and Bobby Moynihan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like Minions, you know? It's like, give me the jelly bean version of Minions. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I was just listening to an interview with Pete Docter, the director, and they played some of the music um, to, you know, uh, bring in and out the interviews and I just heard the music and I started crying again and I was thinking of the scene where um Riley is skating and Joy is skating along with her oh my god I yeah uh, yeah and the part that killed me that just killed me is when Goofy Island uh, Goofball Island Goofball Island because and the and then and I love like in the credits when it's like the cool girl and she's like, Am I a fraud? Does everyone know I'm a fraud? And like the heavy weight that is to be cool, you know, and how mm-hmm. dumb it is that we spend so much of our adolescence trying to be cool when we should have just held on to goofball island, but for <laughs> some reason in our society we have to pretend we're cool and it's such a waste. Yeah. But there's like the detail at the end, again, like there's just like so many tiny things. Where after, you know, Riley starts to build new core memories or whatever, and they look out, and instead of a bunch of little islands, it's one big one, because it's going to be like, you know, her interlocking real adult personality. Ah. I was just like, I don't know, that's how I took it, I guess, like, like, now she's gone, she's, this is the first time Riley's ever gone through something really bad. Yeah. And now she's going to rebuild herself to be even stronger and all those traits will come together instead of feeling like separate compartments of a person. I just, oh, I thought it was so beautiful. And then the sadness likes the vampire island. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't. Vampire so romance good. island. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god, and the boyfriend. I would die for Riley. Oh my god, that's really so great. Good. You guys, I, we're not spoiling all the jokes. In case you haven't seen it, you should still go see it because we're not even scratching the I mean, surface. We, yeah, we should probably put, we'll put a spoiler warning on this one because we did just basically spoil the end. But, but I knew a lot of spoilers, and it didn't it didn't ruin the magic. I mean, you're just completely enwrapped in the story. I I, I don't think there's any way to ruin it, really. I have a question for you guys. So one of the great devices is seeing into other people's brains also. Um, the one misstep for me was at the table where the mom is trying to get the dad's attention. Oh, yeah. And it's like some kind of like, I don't know even how to describe it. Bad CBS sitcom, I think, is a phrase that yeah. you use, yeah. Shannon. Um, and, but, but here's the interesting thing about it. The, all the people in the emotion controls for the mom looked like the mom. Yeah. Like every, all of the emotions look like the person having the emotions, except for Riley's emotions, which all look different, which I thought was interesting. Maybe because she's still a kid. I don't know. But the other interesting thing was that um, Riley's mom, her main emotion was sadness. I, that bothered me. Isn't that interesting? I thought, yeah, I, so the first trailer that came out for this movie was that um, dinner table scene. And I was really turned mm-hmm. off because I was like, these are stereotypes I've seen a million times. I'm not interested. I really wasn't interested until, um, actually, I was with Brandy and we saw Pitch Perfect 2 and there was a different, longer trailer. And I was like, oh, okay, this looks interesting because I was really turned off by the stereotypes. And I think that's the only really bad part of the movie is um, the stereotypes of the parents and their emotions and who is in control. Angers, I believe, in control of the dad. And right. then, and then um, sadness in the mom, and uh, we will get to the lava short film <laughs> in a second. Um, but I, I, I thought that was a real lazy misstep. I don't mind that sadness was in charge for her, but for the I dad, think, anger. But I did think it was an odd detail that absolutely everyone's little emotions all look the same except Riley's. And then I also think it's weird that Joy had blue hair instead of like. I was Yellow thinking when everybody that else too. Is matched there. Yeah, I was yeah, yeah, the same yeah. thing. I was actually sort of taken out of the film thinking, I wonder if there was a meeting with the animators and Joy originally had gold hair and they decided it didn't look good enough and then they turned it blue. That was really, like... I bet, I bet there was. I don't know. It seemed weird to me that her and Sadness would both have the same hair color. Yeah. Because but... no detail is is happens in this film without... A lot of thought, I'm sure. Yeah. I was There's even a looking... lot of staff meetings about each hair color, I'm sure. Even the mom's clothing, everything the mom wore had all the colors in it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah. The other thing I really loved about this film was that Riley was a fierce hockey player. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the least girliest girl I think I've ever seen on screen, and I love that. Totally, and I think that softens the... My main complaint with Pixar, A, it took them so long to have a female protagonist in the two films they've had are Brave, about mothers and daughters, and then Inside Out, about emotions. Two very girly things instead of, Hmm. to me, the true feminist thing would be, okay, you're going to make cars, make it a female voice. You know what I mean? Why does it just have to be these female subjects? Moms, emotions. What's the next (laughs) one going to be about baking? I mean, it's like, that bothers me. Yes, Inside Out is amazing. Yes, Riley is not a girly girl, but I still feel like the inherent pitch of the girl protagonist is 
is stereotypical. I can kind of see that. To me, Brave was a very much like... I really liked Brave. Um, I don't really understand why people don't like it. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, for me, thematically, Finding Nemo's about father and son. Why shouldn't we have one about mom and dad? Or mom and daughter? So Right. I mean, I, I could see that, but I just... She was so strong, and then she shot, like, two arrows through the whole movie, and she was mainly, like, you know, dealing with emotional mom issues. And I just feel like that wasn't the movie I signed up for. And after watching mm-hmm. so many male Pixar characters get to deal with something outside of their family, I just, it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Lava, because I know you're dying to, Shannon. <laughs> Have at oh it. Oh, my God. What a piece I of mean, shit. Oh. Okay, so the Lava Mountain is Kevin James, right? Okay? What the fuck? He's this ugly-ass blob man, and then he gets it's... this hot, you know, volcano woman that get he, that is owed to him that he gets. It's just, it's everything I hate about CBS comedies, and I just, I hated she it so much. She didn't even look like a volcano. No, it she didn't. It was so weird. Yeah. It was, like, I'm sure someone else has already pointed this out, because I've definitely seen people trashing this chore on Twitter, but they looked like Jabba the Hutt and Princess Leia together. <laughs> I mean, that was the immediate image that came into my mind, and, I, and the fucking song was terrible, too! The verses didn't even rhyme! Like, I hated what? that short, and I had to watch it twice, too. <laughs> the so. only compliment I can give it is they didn't give her huge boobs. <laughs> They made her super shapely, but they didn't give her big tits. And that's literally the only thing, because it was so, these old, lazy gender stereotypes. It's like, what is even the point of this when you're going to have this, like, awesome, subversive film next? It's like, why would you put that in front of it? It's just dumb. I I don't know. I didn't get it. Yeah. And I can't do these fat guys with their hot, younger wives. I just can't do it anymore. If I see a show like that, I don't even want to watch it. I don't even care. I just can't, I mean, fat people deserve love, but, like, yeah, I can't but, do that the whole... But you can't, it's always these, like, the woman is only based on beauty, and the men get to be funny no matter what they look like. Yeah. And that's what yeah. bothers me. It's not, I mean, For obviously sure. I'm not anti-fat, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, why does she, you know, you could just read what the casting call was, why you know? Why the casting call for the volcanoes? Yeah, we're gonna need Kevin a volcano with great hair. Kevin James type doesn't care what he looks like, but he's got a lot of personality. And then female volcano is beautiful, but she just kind of girl next door, but no one's ever really paid attention to her. Pretty, but not too pretty, you know. <laughs> okay, well, this is why we don't base entire probably million dollar productions on one pun. The fact that lava mm. sounds a little bit like the word love. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just want to know who signed off right. on that thing. Whose fucking nephew excuse. got to make this? Yeah. All right, guys, yeah. I'm going down to Emeryville. All right. I'm going to knock on yeah. the door and be like, we have a question. Yes, Gabby podcast. All right, so by popular demand, thank you of, to all our Twitter friends. Uh, many people insisted that we watch Sense8 and talk about it. Sense8 is a series on Netflix. And so we did, and um, wow, what did we think? <laughs> well, I have to say it's very similar to Downton Abbey, where there's a lot of things to praise, and there's a lot of things to ridicule. I think you have more to ridicule than I do. I mean, honestly, it took me like about three episodes to get into it, but once I was in, I was all in. 
I really was. I fucking loved it. You know, I fucking loved it too. And I could not get it fast enough. You know, I just couldn't <laughs> wait to have some time to watch the next episode. I was just like ate it all up and loved it. And then every time I stopped and just thought about it a little, there were a bunch of things that really bugged me, but I didn't <laughs> care. I didn't care. Yes, I but I didn't so care. Much. Like, um, uh, there's a bunch of things I, I can definitely um, criticize. I think Shannon has more like story level um, yeah. stuff that bothered her. Yeah. Well, first me, off, let's just say that the first two episodes are trash. So you just have to get through <laughs> them. They're absolute that's a, trash. That's a little harsh. A, the dialogue is atrocious, <laughs> but then you get to the end of the third episode and you're like, oh, okay, there's a story here and it gets going. Then you gotta wait till episode 10, then it really gets going. And there is a story and it is good, but I think that this is one of those instances where they gave the Wachowskis too much. There wasn't enough editing because there's just, you can't just have. 15 scenes of people looking at each other in mirrors. You have to have the story See, at some point. I like that stuff. To me, when the actual story started, when it was just like, you know, whenever they're talking about Mr. Whispers or something, like, that's when I want to get a snack. Like, I don't really care. Mm. <laughs> I want to watch the character stories in the cast, you know? Like, mm. I, I don't really care about this facility out where they're keeping people or whatever. It's kind of the same thing as when I watch Orphan Black. Like, I want to see the clone stories. I don't really care about the conspiracy so we don't well, want to opposite we don't want to spoil yeah. her too much uh for people who haven't seen sense8 um but uh but the idea is basically that these these eight people get it eight are sense8 <laughs> um which means that they can feel each other's emotions and they can sort of enter each other's lives and sometimes even enter each other's bodies so it's yeah. all very woo-woo, but it's cool. Like, like just the feeling of the series is so cool. And there are these yeah. sequences that, you know, of everyone listening to the same song or everyone thinking about a shared experience in their lives or even one that is, like, so dirty sexy, I can't even. <laughs> no, we have to describe uh, it. We have to describe it. There's no. No, we can't. You can't. Don't give it away. You can't, Don't but it's it so oh filthy and hot. It's, it was just great. <laughs> um, um, my main complaint about this show would be about what I perceive as missed opportunities from the really cool premise. Yeah. Um, two of the characters are queer, and they do some interesting stuff with that, which I think is great. And particularly, you know, Lana Wachowski is a transgender uh, person, and there is a transgender character played by a transgender woman in the show. So, you know, they're doing all of that, right? We have these eight characters, and... All four of them that are from either America or Europe are white. So while the cast is diverse because you have, you know, a character from India, from South Korea, one who's living in Nairobi, one who's in Mexico City, um, the way they have it set up, all of them are part of the majority race group where they are. So none of them seem to really have that bit as a piece of their personality. And really, um, other than you know, a moment when a white girl is stunned to be in Africa, like, it's not even really, like, addressed that much, the geographic and racial diversity, which I thought was odd. Well, and the white guy, and and the white people are the leads, and that also really bothers me, is that, um, you know, you have this opening scene that's kind of 
kind of like a precursor to the story. And then the first person you go to is a white male cop in America who is saving a black boy. So stereotypical. And he continued... I mean, there's episodes where everybody kind of gets their fair share, but in the final episode where it's like, here's the real story, here's the protagonist, he is our protagonist. And I thought that was such a lazy choice. You know, it, 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 I know we're going to talk about Orange is the New Black, but it also reminded me of, like, the choice to have Piper as the lead. I, I don't know why they did that in this, where there is so much diversity. And in that final episode, the agency of the story and who are the heroes are two white people. And yeah. the other people pop in, and they do their one skill. Yeah, I would really hope that if it gets renewed, it hasn't been renewed yet. Supposedly they have a five-season plan. And I would hope that the plan would be for a different kind of pair of characters to be the focus. Um, because I don't, I don't think that we need another situation like Lost, which also had a nice diverse cast, and yet there was a white love triangle at the center of basically everything. Absolutely. Right? And I feel like two of the... Two of the women of color are very sexualized until each of them got a skill in the final episode. Kala in India finally got a skill in the final episode. Finally. And so, and so did Amalita. Yeah. And they both yeah. were just sexual objects. The entire season, until the final episode, they have something <laughs> to offer. And I was shocked. I mean... I don't know. I, there is a lot to love about this show, but they make a lot of the same missteps as a lot of other shows that are written by white men. White cis men. Mm-hmm. And well, I yeah. one white cis man. Yeah, but... Right. Uh, well, two, because J. Michael Straczynski is also okay, the creator. Um, and, but So I feel like it is that thing where um, this is why you want a large diversity of voices behind all kinds of projects, because, like, one thing that does write by a transgender character is not going to hit all the other things that a show really should be doing to be accessible and to be doing it's what I feel like is the duty of media in today's landscape. Right. There's another really interesting thing on the diversity subject, which is this show practically fails the Bechdel test, Um, which is an incredible thing to say about a show with so many interlocking characters. I mean, you get really cool stuff, but with, um, I don't want to give away what happens to Sun, the Korean character, but where her storyline takes her, she ends up surrounded by some other very interesting women for a couple of episodes. Near the end. Didn't get enough there that I I really wanted more of that. That was a good world. But then, like, your your main opportunity for this, I mean, you get a little bit of it with Kala's family, but it's very centered around a wedding narrative. They're talking about that. I can't listen or fucking talk about her wedding. (laughs) And then... Yeah, and then, of course, you have um, Nomi and Ama Nita, but their relationship, they're in a long-term relationship with each other, consists almost entirely of talking about stuff that's driving the plot forward. You know, they get a lot of the exposition scenes, like, whoa, what's happening with this villain, blah, blah, blah. Or just talking about how great each other are. Or making out and making out, and then later they make out some more. Yeah. I get it. They're into each other. They do it with a strap on. Like, I mean, that's all well and good, but can we also, like, we don't really learn much about Amanita's personality other than um, the glimpse we get of her mother. You know, like, there, there's a lot more room to grow, which is why I really do hope this show gets a season two, because I think if they can tweak those problems. And I, I assume that in um, further seasons we would be introduced to other clusters of sensates, 
Like, there's so many places you could go with this. So I'm just really, really hoping it gets renewed. I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and I feel like this was one of the cooler premises I've ever seen. Definitely. And, I mean, the production value is incredible. I don't even know how much they spent on this show because their sets, I mean, just these huge, beautiful scenes and aerial shots. And, I mean, it's a feast for the eyes. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And the ways, the ways that the Wachowskis get in their, um, you know, trademark action sequences are really cool. The way they figure out how to fit it into this more personal narrative, I thought was really cool. Well, it is, it is cool. Is, but a yeah. lot of the characters, like, their big skill is that they kick ass, you know? Yeah. Well, like, I would say half of them. I yeah. would categorize half of them as badasses and half of them as emo kids. I The last two episodes, they did show, like, Leto, who's one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. He's the main source of humor in the show, and he nails it. But they didn't, and this is my main complaint with this show entirely, is all these, oh, we're staring at each other in mirrors. It's like... What is the purpose of these people? So half these people are just shunted into these emo kid roles, and then literally in the last two episodes, they get a job. And I just think that's a disservice to the character. What, they couldn't handle a job? Like, it it just bothers me. It's like, and then, and you know, and then it's like, oh, I'm supposed to believe you on episode 12 that this person is capable of a job when you've spent (laughs) this many episodes just showing them, like, you what know. nice hair they have. Yeah, and crying like, in a corner yeah. or something. You know, it's like everybody, there's so many, it's very lopsided. Because I think the two best characters are Sun and Kafius. They have the most fleshed out stories. They have so many, they have great skills. They are not one dimensional at all. Yet, they are not the lead. <laughs> because they are not white. Well, yeah. I think Kafius gets a lot of screen time, actually. But, um... But I do feel like with, with the, how many permutations are there when there are eight people who can, you know, team up with any of the other eight, how come that the, how come the straight women are always paired up with men? Like, how many scenes are there with two of the straight female sensates hanging out with each other for what, no, any reason? there's only... Never. There's, never. Like, never. No, there's a couple. There's a couple that's with not in the, Riley That's not in together. the last seat. Episode, um, but Kala and Riley never hang out because they're always with their lover characters. Yeah, there's a lot of missed opportunity, and that's why I think it could get really interesting going forward if they end up doing that. Because I would say that, you know, besides some of the um, bigger set pieces that really blew me away, like the scenes of Sun and Riley together just relating about their lives that are so on the surface unrelatable. Those were probably my favorite scenes. Okay, well, I mean, one more thing we have to mention about Sensei that's very important is that we do get to see a dick. Yeah. <laughs> quite, a, quite a spectacular one. And I mean, like, I a close-up so of nothing but the dick, which I admit I did go back again to examine and be like, okay, so we, this is the moment that I always want in, the sh- in these shows, the equal opportunity. We are, in fact, seeing a real male dick on screen. <laughs> Uh, Anon Wolfgang, who is a very attractive young man, so, um, thank mm-hmm. you, and actually, I will say, I think this is the first show where, ever, where, besides maybe, like, Oz, where we see a dick, and we did not see up close, uh, pussy no, at any point. you're right. That was not, we didn't get the counterpoint on that. Right, yeah. So, That's right. Um, I will say, it's because, aside from the lesbian couple, none of the women have sex. That's true. 
Um, we do need to work on being able to show both a quote-unquote strong badass woman and have her have reasonable human relationships at the same time. Totally. <laughs> In the plus column is the fact that they are comfortable actually going there and with the full frontal mentality. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So thank you again. You know, I would like to see Sun, you know, fuck as hard as she fights because I think she's got it in her to lay. But I did appreciate the dick shot. It's so rare, you know, you have to just really notice it because, you know, the whole two seasons of looking, we never saw a dick. So. so moving on, speaking of narrative and script and story structure, I would like to bow down to the Queen Genji Kohan for this season yeah. of Orange is the New Black. I've heard people say they're disappointed with the season, what? and I'm like, we did not watch the same show. No way. <laughs> there is no wasted dialogue. There is not a I wasted scene. There is not a wasted cutaway in this I season. I loved it so much. And I feel like people are forgetting that season one and season two do the same thing, where things feel kind of disjointed for about six episodes before the pieces start falling together until you get this, like, amazing ending uh-huh. where everything comes together. Yep. It's it's definitely one of those shows where at the end you're like, holy shit. Like, you can see that they had everything fully planned. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't really understand why people would say that they're disappointed because I thought it was really strong. And it was also kind of funnier than the other seasons, too. I'm going to not be the total praiser. I did not feel, co- I did not feel addicted to this season. And I felt this with last season, too. It's a show I easily forget about. Oh, shit, girl. I, I, this was, like, all I could think about for three days. Like, saying, like, I was just, like, oh, my God, I could get back to my Netflix. Like, I had to go, like, away for the weekend, and I was on a trip I had been looking forward to for a long time, and when I realized it was, like, Orange is the New Black weekend, I was pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I was so pissed. (laughs) I always love it, and I always love where it ends up, but I do, I don't know, I just don't get the addictive quality with it, as I did with the first season. I haven't felt it for the last two seasons, but I always enjoy it, and I always think they do right by the characters, and they evolve the characters in these really beautiful, subtle ways. Except for Piper, we'll get to that. Well, let's let's okay. So let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about all the storyline. So Pensatucky and her rape no. storyline. I think it's the best. I think that's the best episode of the entire show. This is a character who started out in such a cartoony place and has been developed. In one of the most impressive arcs I think I've seen. Because it wasn't shoved down your throat, this sort of, like, redemption of Pensatucky. Mm-hmm. But, like, you totally believe that all the things that have happened to her and all the people that have influenced her actually would push her to finally self-reflect. And um, to be in a position where when something this horrible would happen to her, she could come out of it rather than lashing back at it the way she might have in season one. I think the fact that she is friends with Boo and we completely believe it is a miracle of storytelling, personally. Yeah, mm-hmm. To get her to that place. It was really cool to see um, both Chang and Soso developed more this season because I think that they heard the... Um, I felt that the people had heard the criticism of their treatment of the Asian characters and that they tried to strive to do better this season, which I enjoyed seeing. Yeah, that was well, really I mean, great. I, yeah. I love Soso and I love seeing someone who was depressed by prison. <laughs> because most yeah. people are kind of having a depressing. good time. So it's it like, it's nice to see someone that like 
I kind of feel like that's how I would feel if I was in prison, you know? And, and it well, was really sad she couldn't make any friends. I mean, that is, like, really, really sad. They were right? so, so that the storylines ended up being kind of, like, the flip side of loneliness. Like, Chang kind of figures out how to work in solitude, and so, so just collapses. Right. I love Cindy's story of her um, conversion. Um, oh, there's somebody who, I know this season of Orange is the New Black is, um, I think, for the next Emmy yeah. block, but, like, can we get a Best Supporting yeah. uh, Actress nomination up in there? Because that scene where she actually has the conversation with the rabbi about converting mm-hmm. was one of the best things uh, they've ever done on this show. I, yeah. I'm getting and goosebumps she, just thinking about it. It completely took me by surprise. Completely. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, <laughs> and you know, being being the resident Jewess on this <laughs> podcast, of course, all of my radar is on full strength. You know, with what are they going to do with this? Is this all going to be like a big joke? Like you order kosher meals on airplanes? You know, because the right. food is better. Um, and I was completely taken by surprise, and it was beautiful. I, I think she's one of the most phenomenal actresses on the show. I mean. She kind of came out of the gate last season because she wasn't in season one that much. And she can do comedy so well. And to see her do drama so well this season was such a treat. She's, I hope they put her more front and center next season because she can do it. I want her doing more yes. drama because I, she was not my favorite character when she was just there for comic relief because I thought she was kind of a fool. But... Um, this uh-huh. is something else well, entirely. Yeah, and Adrienne Seymour can do a lot more. Like, she's, uh, when, I read an interview with her where she was talking about, like, her extensive theater background and stuff, and I was just like, you wouldn't have known it before this, given what material they've given her. So I just, I love that she got to kind of bust out of the gate this season and really show what she's capable of. And then, what else did I love? I fucking loved Leanne's honest backstory. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was like... That was cool. I gasped. I mean, how do you come up with something like that that after this long makes total sense once you learn it about this character? <laughs> I mean, what a good episode! And they're so good at shedding light on these little subcultures in America that you don't necessarily get to see and all these circumstances that lead to ending up in prison. Well, let's talk a little bit about Piper, who I I know, Shannon, you've got some words. <laughs> She's I, done. I really love I the whole panty thing. Me too. <laughs> I love the whole, the panty thing was hilarious. And I love her getting all badass and getting advice from Red and... Um, you know, cutting yeah. people dead, basically. I did not like that tattooed chick at all. Uh, and I kept wondering, no. what the hell is she doing in this show? Because I don't know where she came from. I don't know where she's going. She's a DJ. Uh, and she was rude. She was, I was awful. Like, I mean, I guess she's pretty, but, like, I mean, why are you so attracted to her when she's so rude? Well, I I know, do, she's pretty hot. She's she's extremely hot. I understand yeah. that she's extremely hot. <laughs> and if, you know, I, I, I understand that Piper would, you know, totally be into that and everything. And and when she got her comeuppance at the end, I was very happy. I was like, good for you, Piper. Think, not thinking with your badge. Yeah. I mean, going back to Shannon's criticism of how the show had positioned, you know, White Piper as the protagonist. I didn't feel that way this season at all. I didn't feel she was positioned as a protagonist. It was just one of the storylines going on. Yeah, I think they even that out this season. Um, 
But I also think, like, people say they want to be able to have um, women characters that are just as complicated and, frankly, unpleasant as some of the classic men we've seen in um, recent years, your Tony Sopranos, your Walter Whites, etc. And I feel like that's where they're pushing Piper towards, and I'm on board. I don't, I want her to be unpleasant and horrible. I think it's interesting, and I find it entertaining. The end of season one and then season two when she's on that plane and she doesn't know where the fuck she's going after she's mm-hmm. like doesn't know if Pensatucky is alive. That's the Piper I want. Not this, am I in love with her? Am I not? Am I selling panties? Am I not? <laughs> like, this was such a waste of Taylor Schilling's acting, I felt like, this season. I feel like they reduced mm-hmm. her down to nothing when she had such a really good emotional core for a long time. And I think that that actress is really good at doing that. And I, I, I just was like, this just feels like a waste. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. I can agree with that on the love side of things. It definitely is tiresome, her and Alex is back and forth. Oh, yes. But um, I, I, for the criminal side of things, I, I disagree. I thought it deepened her character to see um, her pushing herself that way and um, setting herself up for failure. I feel like this, this has to implode on her at some point. Just the sight of all those inmates wearing those hot pink panties, you know, peeking yeah, out. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it was hilarious. And just the whole horse trading going on. And there were some beautiful, you know, Boo sacrificing her screwdriver for the cause. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> I don't know. There's just a lot of, like, great callbacks like that. And Yeah. I think the, the last thing I want to defend that I've seen people um, criticize this season is... Uh, I saw people not liking the fact that they delved so much into Caputo and his backstory. Um, I don't know if they thought it was like a betrayal of a show that's supposed to be all about women, but I really liked that as well. I did too. (laughs) It worked for me. I would say my main complaint is I don't like this um, Red Healy love storyline. He is such a misogynist. He bought his wife. And now I'm supposed to be, like, rooting for Red to be in love with him. I find it really gross, and I don't want to reward a character like Healy. He's the type that would go troll women on Twitter. Absolutely not. (laughs) And I don't like that. I think that's a really dangerous misstep the writers are playing with. I hope it wouldn't go that far. I liked the way it started out where she really was just kind of trying to use him to get her kitchen privileges back. Um, But I think unlikely friendships are kind of part of the DNA of this show. So that was how I was reading most of it. I wasn't necessarily reading it as something Even them crying at that wedding. Yeah. There's a lot of heavy romantic imagery. Okay, well, speaking of love stories I don't really care about, Unreal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A great show that's trying to make me care about the protagonist getting together with our bachelor in weird ways. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, uh, what are people thinking about Unreal as the season's coming to a close? I have to say that I do look forward to all the new episodes, but I don't really care that much about it. Does that make sense? Well, I've been a hater all podcast, but I love this show. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love that there are two female anti-heroes I do think both of them are very complex. Um, I think the main complaint against the show is I think it's in scandal territory of just eating through story that it doesn't need to. Just let us be in the minutia of these relationships with the different 
women in the different power roles from contestant to producer to showrunner. I love it. Yeah. I, de- I, I don't see these women on any other show. So. I agree with you that they burned through it too quickly. You know, I've, I've watched many a season of A Bachelor or A Bachelorette. That shit drags on forever. <laughs> and I was really surprised to see how quick they burned through the fictional version of that because some potentially really interesting characters in the female contestants were gone after one or two episodes um the host character has gotten very little play when he could have been like to me someone who does that job it's like what's your story why is this your life you know we haven't gotten any (laughs) of that um so I feel like, yeah, it's, a, it's again the thing of a show with a, such a rich tapestry that they're missing opportunities in an, uh, in an attempt to just continue keeping people hooked with, to the next episode instead of really exploring everything they could be doing. It's a lot of fun, and I think the performances are incredible. I'll definitely keep watching it. I'm going to keep watching it, too. I think it's fun. I just don't love it. I, I'm... I'm... I feel very inarticulate in describing what has, <laughs> through the entire season, been keeping me from truly loving this show. And I can't... I I, I really, really do not like Rachel, the lead character. Mm-hmm. And not, not because she's an anti-hero or whatever. I like anti-heroes fine. I do not like her. And I do not like that she is miserable all the time. I think she is a one-note performance. I'm sorry. And, I don't know why that doesn't oh. bother me, because I usually, that is a common complaint I make, but there's something <laughs> about her that doesn't bother me. I Maybe it's the episode with her mom that provided enough depth for me that I it's carrying me through. Yeah, daughters, moms, I don't know. <laughs> well, after I complained about Brave, here I am. Speaking of uh, things we loved, we all loved Catastrophe. Your hair. Which we mentioned so before. So good. Um, and it's only, like, two and a half hours of your life, so honestly, like, just binge those six episodes. It's really, really satisfying. And it's so funny. It takes so it takes funny. every rom-com standard and turns it absolutely inside out. I had no idea where this show was going to go next. I love Sharon Horgan, who is the lead woman in this show. She's Irish. She's awesome. I can't wait to see what she does next. And she looks a little bit like Connie Britton, and now I'm obsessed with the idea of them playing sisters in some way. Oh. No, her and Sutton Foster need to do a rom-com together, because they're both just so charming and hilarious and wonderful. Oh, Younger is a good show, too. If you didn't watch that when it was mm, I loved on, it. Like, that's a good one to catch up on, which also had a storyline about selling used panties, so it's True. a trend. True. That is a weird <laughs> connection point. All right, what else are we watching? Well, I'm loving Mr. Robot, which no one's watching, and I know the title's kind of silly, but <laughs> and it's about hackers, which doesn't sound interesting at all, but it's totally about taking down capitalism. It's very cool. It's very cool. It's very good. How much is Christian Slater walking around in sunglasses talking about the man? Like, how much does that happen? <laughs> 20%. He's hardly 20%. in it at all. <laughs> he's not in it much at all and the female characters are all really good i really like the female characters and it's 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 definitely feels like a modern x-files like very conspiracy a lot of sci-fi a lot of cool technology all right all right you're not the only one who's told me that it's great so i'll have to check it out well i'm 
finishing up Wolf Hall, <laughs> which is not like any of this stuff <laughs> at all. <laughs> and then I'm going to start on Veep, which I have never seen. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, but that's not a show you can really binge because it's so like uncomfortable and stressful that like I can never watch more than about two episodes. Yeah, yeah I, that's, I that's agree. fine. I, I can watch yeah. two episodes at a time. It's on Amazon it's Prime, so I'm just gonna. I mean, there's only time. like forty episodes total, so you'll you'll get there. It's so brilliant. We're just talking about two brilliant Netflix series, so I guess maybe Bojack Horseman is my next one. I finally finished all of the recorded episodes of Bob's Burgers that I had from this year, so I need another cartoon to fill that slot in my life until that incredibly hilarious and brilliant show comes back. And I'll just say, um, for everybody out there who is a Hannibal fan, R.I.P. has been cancelled, um... I get the feeling that they're going to wrap it up in a really cool way from the previews for the next few episodes. Um, I really love this show, but I'm not super mourning it because I feel like it's just, it's really intense and three seasons of it might be good for me. Like, I might be okay (laughs) with not watching anyone else get flayed for a while after that. Well, At fair. least until Game of Thrones comes back. Right, so, right. But um, Mads Mikkelsen is, like, an actor of our generation. Like, he is incredible. I was a huge fan of him before this, because you know I've spoken before about how much I love random Danish movies. <laughs> um, but, um, if you've never watched Hannibal, it's not exactly a light summer thing, but also all the uh, another one where all the episodes are available on Amazon streaming, and it's it's really interesting storytelling. It's nice that there are shows like that out there that can exist, because it's, it's a bizarre fucking show. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know what you're watching on Twitter. Uh, we really appreciated the Sense8 recommendation. Let us know what else you love. We will be back again with another Downton Gabby offseason. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Downton Gabby, on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com, and on Facebook at Downton Gabby. Thanks for listening. See you next time. i